The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com.
Thank you, Miss Meg. Well, I invite your attention this morning. You've probably been wondering where to turn. It's not Mark, and you don't have anything listed. So uh, we are going to start off as we do in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And I'm going to put this microphone down here. As you're turning, I just want to give you an alert next week that we expect high attendance Sunday. Uh, next week, uh, I will be have the privilege of preaching at uh, Nathaniel King's. Uh, many of you all remember Mr. Nathaniel at his ordination service next week in Tacoma, Nebraska. And a few of us are going to forego an hour of sleep and drive the four-hour drive up there. So uh, uh, Pastor Nelson will be preaching next week. And uh, he says he might be preaching the book of Mark. So... Uh, uh, I told him I'd say that to get a reaction from the crowd to see what he should, you know, we don't base our opinions on the crowd, but uh, you will be blessed by Pastor Nelson, and, and, and Tower View Church, I say this every week, I want to be clear, we do not preach for this camera over here, this camera over here picks up a feed that sends it to Facebook that goes around the world, we get messages occasionally from people saying, hey, I heard this in such and such a country, but I do address folks on here occasionally because we don't want to use a computer as an excuse not to come together, amen? So every week, if I say to the camera, hey, if you can come to church, you're welcome at ours, or find a church, be faithful in it, thank you for being faithful to come as you can. We know you get sick, we know you can't, you're traveling sometimes, we know you're just wiped out, whatever it is, and can't make it, but come as often as you can. Uh, this is what we're called to do, amen, and it's what we're called to do. So pray for Pastor Nelson, he has a big task ahead of him next week of preaching, and uh, I appreciate our brother doing that. Well, on October 31st of 1517, I think Leon was five at that age back when, if he's still here. Hi, Leon, uh, wherever you are. Hi, Leon, uh, I thought of you. But on that time, if you were unsure what to do about Halloween, this guy nailed it. Uh, many of you all know who this is. This is, of course, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., the African-American social activist, but Martin Luther, the theologian. And forever, uh, it's a day of importance of why the gospel is preached. We're not here to venerate Martin Luther. We're not here to celebrate a golden age of the church. But it's a reminder that on that day, some 502 years ago, October 31, 1517, Martin Luther nailed to the door at Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, a 95 theses, which were 95 complaints. And please don't do that to my door, by the way, or Judy's door. These are 95, or an invitation to public dialogue about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He thought it nothing other than to do what they would do in that day and put it out there. Today we'd put it on the Facebook wall or put it up on a billboard, but then you put it at the Castle Door Church. Before he knew it, though, his ornery students had taken it down and copied on this super slick thing called the printing press and uh, started copying and making copies of these 95. And they went through all of Europe, and it became the bestseller uh, of that day. For, and, and it became known as what we know now, of course, as the Protestant Reformation. A protest, hence the name Protestant, we, we are protesters in a sense, against the theological abuses of the time. And a Reformation was a revolution that altered everything we know the world as today. It had effects on every aspect of the world. Nowhere, though, was it affected greater or felt greater than the religious and spiritual side of things. At the heart, the Reformation was a return to this, the Word of God that you freely hold in your hands today, which many of that day did not have access to because of literacy and publication. 
after a thousand years that, uh, of dark ages that came over the church with very few lights and very few exceptions, the Reformation brought us back to this truth. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. The Bible became the issue of the day. Doctrine became the focus of the great ages. The dark ages soon gave way to the Word of God, and the church and society were once again awakened and aroused to the truth of the Word. The life of the gospel was reformed. Evangelical missionaries went out for the first time. Schools were started to study this book, uh, this thing that had been hidden away for centuries. The, uh, the Bible studies, seminaries were started, schools raised up, congregational singing started again. They didn't used to sing back in those days. Many of you would have loved to have lived in the Dark Ages, but for the rest of us who enjoy singing, that was something. Juice and bread were given at communion to lay people because that was a privilege, and countless multitudes became saved, all because of one man took 95 complaints and nailed them to the door with not the intention of starting a revolution, but he did. This is what Psalm 85, verses 6 and 7 reminds us of, guys. You'll see it on the screen. The psalmist prays, Lord, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And out of this came the solas. And let me clarify what S-O-L-A is. That's not southern Los Angeles, sola, or southern Louisiana. Sola means alone, alone or, or, or only. And out of this, we came back to sola scriptura, that scripture alone, solus Christus, that Christ alone, sola gratia, that grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone, and sola deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. Those are Latin phrases that may not mean much to us today, but historically and even in the present day are needed to be reminded of today. And the big idea today is simply this, that these five solas aren't just for a time way back when in the Reformation, they really impact you all the day long. Can you imagine not having Christ alone as your Savior? Can you imagine having the Bible's word and then the pastor's interpretation on top of that? Can you imagine waiting for, for, for grace to come to you in your time of need and you had to earn that grace? Can you imagine if your faith alone was not enough to save you? Can you imagine if your life was all about you and not about God, how you would feel? These are things we take so easily for granted. And so today, the five solas, and, and Miss Amy will throw those up. They're small, but we'll go through these one at a time in very short. These could be preached on for years, guys. We're not going to do that today. Uh, you want to get home too, and so do I. Praise the Lord. But we want to look at each of them. So what we're going to do, we're going to stand in just a second. Let me just give you the order. We're going to go through one soul at a time. We're going to put up a verse. I'm going to ask you to turn to that verse. Then we're going to talk about what it means, and we'll apply it. We'll put up the, the slide, talk about it, and apply it. Does that make sense? We're going to do that. It's going to be different. You're going to feel more Pentecostal than Baptist today. That's okay for a change. Luther was Lutheran, and he came in. Anyway, you'll be all right. It is what it is. But you have the first solo we're going to look at this morning. Scripture alone, if you're able to stand this morning, would you join us uh, in honoring God's Word and standing together as we read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, Verses 16 and 17. And Amy, if you just want to go ahead and put that up, and then we can go back up that slide after we're done. And it's up there. It's, you can pull your tablet, smartphone, or your Bible, or your brain, whatever you got. But let's read it together. Hear God's word this morning. All Scripture is breathed out by God. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Let me read it quicker and again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Folks, I pray and my prayer has been, our pastoral prayers have been, that this church does not have a cold orthodoxy, that we don't have a cold faith. We, that, in other words, that we know what we believe and we're, cool, we're good with that, but it never affects who we are. We pray we are white hot in what we believe, and we pray we are white hot in how we live it out. Amen? Just like you want your kids not just to know the rules, but to know why they do those rules and respect the people who do those things. We do this all the time. But we pray these truths are here. If you've never heard these before, I pray it encourages you. If you have heard these before, may it fuel the fire by God's grace as we look at why we believe what we believe. Let's pray together as we start. Father, as we come to you, we thank you so much, Lord, for these truths. They're so basic. But, Father, in so many things we get so lost in the details of, especially in this culture today. May you just take us back for a few minutes to remind us where we have come from, what we are called to do, and who you are in that process, and who we were outside of you minus these things. Father, thank you so much. Stir within our church a greater desire to go deeper and wider in your word and its application, Father. But in that application, Lord, don't let it just stop in our heads. Take it to our hearts. Apply it. Put it to our feet. Let it be evidence in how we treat one another, how we treat each other outside of here, how we, how we raise our families, how we love each other as spouses, Father, how we deal with things in life. May these truths be the foundational bedrocks of where that comes from by your grace, for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Well, the first thing here is that we are going to look at, and, and if you're taking notes, I will try, the, as always, these notes are available on our website under each sermon. You can pull those up. If you're on the Judy, Judy sends out our weekly emails and stuff. Uh, these are all beyond there. But our first one we want to look at is Scripture alone. Scripture alone. The Bible alone. Sola Scriptura. And we just read those verses that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amy, you can go to the four truths if you would. Guys, I just want to give you four truths about this because we, we take this so much for granted. But you think how many people... I, 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 look, I... I Paul calls out people by name in the Scripture who he wants to correct. And I may name drop some other religions today. Please hear my heart on this. This is not to say we're better than them. Guys, we are all sinners outside of Jesus Christ, right? But there are times where Paul calls out uh, uh, Alexander the coppersmith and homogenous and all these guys in the Scriptures. And I want you to know, if I mention a name of a religion or a belief system, not our own, I'm not doing it to be like, hey, boom, here, did you hear that? I got the mic. Here it is. I do this because I want you to know what you believe. Does that make sense? Our Mormon friends have six different things they go to for appeal. And, and you know what's crazy? When the Mormons start preaching, it can change the next Sunday if the Mormon president agrees with it. Our Catholic friends believe that the Scripture alone is not sufficient. Tradition coupled with the official church interpretation vetoed or accepted by the Pope is what it comes to be. 
But as Protestants, we believe that this book from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is sufficient. It is sufficient. It is all that we need. The first thing the Bible does, Sola Scripture, it enlightens us. Enlightens us. Scripture alone enlightens our soul. How does somebody get saved if they're saved? It's not because you talk them into heaven. It's because the Word of God has gotten into their heart, and He's called them from heaven to believe the truth. And when Paul says here in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God, he's basically telling us that this is the only thing that's ever going to make any sense to you. Friend, you can play pastor sermons all day, but this is the only thing that tells us what life is really like. It is Scripture alone that connects to real life. The large truth of Scriptures connect to the small spaces of daily life. And we need to believe that. There is no other word. If, if, if as pastor I get up here and I say something that's different from this Bible, you better be confronting me about it. I hope you do that. But you're the pastor. You say all the right stuff all the time. Friend, I am a sinner leading other sinners under a perfect Savior, right? Examine your Bible. It enlightens us, this scriptural truth of Scripture alone. The second thing it does is it examines us. You ever notice that? It examines your soul. The psalmist says that if you believe in the Scripture alone, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like a two-edged sword. It's going to get down in there into the bone and the marrow, and it's going to cut places you don't want it to cut. Just like when the dentist comes in and says, I was telling our Sunday school class, you know, they asked me the other week, how often do you, do you floss? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I flossed right before I came in, amen? And that's how it goes. But the Bible doesn't care because God sees all things. If we believe the Scripture alone, it's going to cut us different ways. It's going to make us more like Christ. And he tells us there, and I, I don't have time to unpack all this, but Paul said there's reproof, there's personal conviction that comes about. He says there's correction. There's comfort that comes when, when the Bible alone, through God's Spirit, shows you the truth. And then there's, again, there's training in righteousness. There's training to know what you believe. But if you don't believe the Bible, if this is just another book, then that means nothing to you. Thirdly, the Bible empowers us. We believe the Bible alone, through God's Spirit, it also empowers us. Empowers us. There was a survey done, uh, probably uh, brothers, uh, brother pastors or brother seminarians, you may know this survey. It was done, I think, in 2008, Willow Creek came out. Willow Creek's a big church up in Chicago that many of our local churches have been influenced by in a, in a good way, mostly. But they, were, they came out to say the number one problem they had in starting large churches was, and survey says, people did not read their Bibles. Is that shocking to you? It took a year-long survey with tens of thousands of dollars to ask the question, do people really read their Bibles? And the answer is, they don't. Because we don't believe that this is the case. And they said, well, we don't see that people are growing anymore as Christians. And, and their number one conclusion was, people weren't reading the Bible, therefore they weren't growing in the Bible. You got it. Friends, if the latest bestseller novel, if the latest audiobook, if the latest TV show, if the latest radio show, whatever you got is greater than your love for the Scripture alone, then you're never going to be empowered to grow spiritually. The only way you grow spiritually is if you allow God's Word to rebuke, examine, and, and get in you and get in there. That's why we don't have a political sermon every week. 
That's why we don't try and preach through the latest headlines. We preach the Scripture alone because it alone is able to grow us as a church. Amen? That's why. Don't take that for granted either. You have been to churches and I've been to churches. This isn't a comparison game. Please don't get me wrong. But we have been to places, haven't we, where we have stepped in and we don't know if we've heard a motivational talk or if we've heard the gospel preached. And if you're visiting with us, I pray that you hear the gospel preached. If you're a member here, I pray that every speaker is held to that standard. Was I enlightened by God's Spirit? Was I examined by the Word? And did it empower me by His Spirit to know Him better? But there's one last one. It's this. We believe the Scriptures alone. It's an example. Or, or, excuse me. It is a, an establishment of us. Did you notice what happened to Timothy if he did these things? Look at verse 17. It says, if he did these things, if he believed the Scripture alone, then he would be competent and equipped for every good work. And the same for you. It is not just our job as pastors to, 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 to take every hard question that comes. You can know this too. What a joy. Blood has been spilt so you can read the Bible in your own language. People died for this. We talk so highly as Americans, and we ought to to some degree, about the sacrifice of Pearl Harbor and D-Day and all this stuff, and that has a place. But people gave their lives so you could read the Word of God as you have it. There are people in overseas countries now. One of them is connected to us through Jack Dewey, and you know who that is. Many of you, I can't say it publicly because we're online, but you know he gives his life at risk of his life that the Bible could be translated to us. The Bible establishes us. Don't take that for granted. Can you imagine a day where you didn't have access to this? Yet so many of us, there are Bibles for hunters. There are Bibles for, uh, there are Bibles for Americans that look more red, white, and blue than the flag. There are Bibles for runners. There are Bibles for Chiefs fans. There are Bibles even for Raiders fans, and that might be the greatest mission field ever right there. There are Bibles for everything. But has the Bible truly transformed you by God's Spirit? I'm not talking about some old dusty book. Has it done that? And this is what happens when it does. I've got to hurry here. But four questions, and you can put these up. So what do we do with this? Amy, you just put them all up. What does this mean? If you believe the Scripture alone, what should we do? It's in the Bible. What should we believe? Guess what? It's in the Bible. How should we worship? Guess what? It's in the Bible. And how should we as a church live together? Guess what? It's in the Bible alone. But so many of us, so many churches have gotten away from this. And when Luther took that nail and nailed it on there, it was a question of do we believe that the Pope or tradition or do we believe that the Bible is great? That's a good question because it really enthralls us. What should we do? It's in the Bible. How should we believe? It's in the Bible. How should we worship? It's in the Bible. How should we live together? It's in the Bible alone. You got that down? If you're taking notes, these are maybe on the website. Got to hurry. Number two, sola scriptura. But next, sola fide. Go, go and say that five times fast. Sola fide, sola fide. It's hard. Faith alone. Not only does the scripture lay the foundation, but it also says we are saved by faith alone. Switch over, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. You're hopping and skipping today. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Uh, or excuse me, I'm, I'm on the next one. Go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. I'm getting ahead of myself. These two are tied together so neatly, it's sometimes hard to do. Go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. I want to read to you uh, why this is so important. Galatians 2, 16, and this is what it says. It says, this is Paul writing, he says uh, in verse 16 that, uh, I just lost it here, 
But yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, Jesus Christ. So we who believe in Christ in order by, are justified by faith and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no man may be justified. Amy, you can just go ahead and put up all that up on the screen on the next slide if you would. There should be three or four clicks. Friends, what we believe is that not only does the Scripture alone tell us about God and who He is, but we believe we are saved by faith alone. We believe that we are saved by a gracious act of God. That when God saves us, He doesn't look at us and say, Oh, you're better than that person. You've done more good than this person. Therefore, I will let you in. Romans is very clear. Therefore, now being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And what Paul tells us in verse 16 of Galatians 2, and there's so many verses that go with these things, guys, is that no one can make himself right with God. Yet in Luther's day, there were people who said, you have to go through this hoop and be baptized, go through penance and be baptized, go through all these things to get to heaven. Aren't you so grateful that you are saved by faith alone if you're saved here today? Aren't you grateful that your life doesn't have to be like a Muslim? Where the Muslims, at the end of the day, their angels, almost like those old Tom and Jerry cartoons, will take the good when they die and the bad and throw them on a scale. And if the scale of good outweighs the bad, then they're good to go. But if the bad outweighs the good, or, then they're not good to go. Aren't you grateful for that? You're saved by faith. Now, what is faith? Is faith walking uh, and hoping for the best? Is faith like you have in Kansas City, a Kansas City sports team faith, where you hope that things are going to work out, where you wish that things would work out? No, faith is steadfast. It's this, that Christ died for you, and that is enough. When he said it's finished, your faith says, okay, Jesus, I believe you're enough. I'm not going to try and add to it. You know, our Mormon friends will say you're saved by grace after all you can do. You're saved by grace, you, you gram, gr grammarians, English people, comma, after all you can do. Jesus says you're saved by faith, period. There's no comma after it. That's it. And back in this day, when Luther was arguing for this, he knew that it was crazy. But by faith alone, it's a gracious act of God by which, and I'm reading off the screen here, he declares you righteous. He does two things quickly. We tried to say this word last night at our dinner table, and Seth, at two years old, about nailed it. I was proud of the little guy. He about got it. But Jesus was our propitiation. Can you say that with me? Propitiation. You did well. You can come to our dinner table tonight and help us. Propitiation means by faith alone that on the cross, when Jesus died, he absorbed all the wrath of God. He took it like a, 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 a sponge and sucked it all up. You have no more wrath. But he also did something else. He imputed to you. He took something of his own and put it inside of you by the Spirit. He took his perfect righteousness and made it perfectly in you. It's an alien righteousness. It's like if you had the cure to cancer and you went up to someone with cancer and you took that cure and you injected them with that and they got better just like that. So too was what Christ did for you. But it's only through faith in Christ. Only through faith in Christ. You're a Christian. This is what you hang your eternity on. This is what you hang everything you believe on by faith alone. What does this mean, Amy? You can just shotgun those up there. What this means is, first off, what it means is, is that this should redefine your life. On your worst day or your best day, God still loves you. 
on your worst day or your best day, you're no more saved or unsaved than you were before you started that day unless you just got saved, and that's a whole other thing. But faith alone tells us that we believe that he is able to hold us. It also means that it's worthy of our death. John Huss, who was the, uh, uh, or one of the early reformers, went to be burned alive at the stake for this very truth. They literally burned him alive because he believed that he could simply believe God and be saved. Crazy, isn't it? Yet it happened. It also means because you have been justified by God in Christ, you have nothing to prove. Christians in this church, we don't have to have a super spiritual show every week. And I'm so grateful our church doesn't. There are some churches where you walk in there and it's like, who's the most holy person to walk through the door today? Oh, I'm going to open that door for you. Oh, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. And it's like the cycle because no one can go first through the door because you've got to be the most humble person to hold the door, right? You all, you all know what I'm talking about. Or you've got to be the last one in the buffet line because we can't be seen as prideful. We've got to be the very last one in the buffet line. Come on, guys. We do this stuff all the time. But if you're saved by faith alone, you have nothing to prove. Jesus loves you, and you don't have to prove it to other Christians. He loves you. And you're no less saved on your worst days, and you're no more saved on your best. Praise the Lord. Amen? Sola fide, faith alone. The Scripture alone is a foundation. Sola fide is like a, a column up like this. Let's go to the third one now. Sola gratia. Sola gratia. Saved by faith alone. And now through grace alone. Grace alone alone. Flip on over, if you will, keep you moving. Ephesians, go just one book to your right. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 this morning. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Some of y'all have this memorized. I keep flipping over one book to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I want to read it for us. It's also up on the screen. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man or any woman or any kid, any child, old, young, that's me inserting, but so no one may boast. Friends, when it comes down to it, religion is simply this in the world. It's either I am able to do it myself, hear me roar, or I trust wholly on Jesus' name. That's all it is. The biblical gospel announces to us that sinners are saved by God through God, to God, and for God. So, Amy, if you want to put up these three little points about grace alone, I want you to see this. First thing is this. What are we saved from? You are saved, as a reminder to you, you are saved from God himself. If you're a Christian here today, you're not just saved from your sins. That's part of it. You're not just saved from your trespasses. Definitely part of it. You are saved from God himself. Isn't that crazy to think about? That God is your worst enemy if you're outside of Jesus Christ. You know, if you ever want to really spook someone, and I'm not talking about like jumping out of a corner on Halloween with a dark suit on or something. If you really want to spook someone, tell someone asks you, why should I believe in God? Look at them and say, because God is good. And you're like, well, that's not spooky. That's great. God's good. You know, go God. You're awesome. Now think about this. God is good. So that means if he's perfect, that means you're not good. So the worst thing that can happen to you if you're not good is going to happen to you because God is good. Does that make sense? And friends, you need to be reminded today, you are saved by God himself. That God has, as John says, uh, the wrath of God abides uh, upon you. That you are under God's curse and God's wrath. But what are we saved by? We are saved by God's mercy and grace alone. 
not a grace that, as our Catholic friends believe, not an infused grace, not like you do, you know, not like a, uh, you know, some people loan other people money to start a business. You know, Shark Tank, anyone ever watched that show Shark Tank before? Friday Night Boredom at its highest. And, and you raise your hand. You all must have a pretty busy Friday night schedule, so good for you. But Shark Tank, they will take an idea, and these investors and entrepreneurs will get together, and they'll pitch out an idea, and these rich millionaires and billionaires will come up and say, you know, I really like your idea. I'll give you, for 15% of your company, I will give you, you know, X amount of dollars. And they go and they make a partnership, and they hopefully do well together. Friends, that is not what God did to us. We were dead in our sins, weren't we? We were dead in our trespasses. God did not give us a little boost at the beginning after we got baptized. We have been dead in our sins. If there's a dead guy up here, you can come up to him and talk to him in pig Latin, in English, in Spanish, and every other language you throw at him, he's still dead. But when Jesus shows up and says, rise up, guess what he does? He jumps up just like that. What are we saved by? We are saved by God's mercy and God's grace alone. For what purpose? Look at verse 10 if you're still in Ephesians 2. What are we saved to? We are saved for the good works He gave us. Verse 10 tells us that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to say a shocking statement. Some of you have heard this before. You are saved by works. But it's not your works. It's the work of Jesus Christ. But your works are what happens after you get saved. Do you see that difference? Jesus died once for all. That's all you need. His work has saved you, and your works show whether you are saved or not. If you proclaim yourself to be a Christian, but you never step out and step up to the plate to live out your life as a Christian, we would question after time whether you are. I am going to get so much fire for this, and that's all right. Now, some of y'all don't listen to rap. I'd say the majority of our church doesn't listen to rap or hip-hop, all right? Uh, we haven't done that recently in a praise and worship service. We might have to do that. We might have to have a Sunday night rapping session, but uh, we'll pick out the hymn numbers and go at it and just make it work. But I want you to know, we'll leave that alone. Uh, I want you to know, whether you believe him or not, Kanye West has professed to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Many of y'all are saying, who in the world is Kanye? Yes, exactly. But he has come, apparently, to come to know Jesus Christ. Kanye is married to Kim Kardashian, who's the daughter of, or I believe the daughter of, the former Bruce Jenner, the decathlete from the 70s, who I have a Wheaties box in my office of, all this stuff, that whole family mess that it is. He has supposedly come to Jesus Christ. We have no reason to doubt this until otherwise proved. But one thing that he said, he just released a whole album this last week, there was all the firestorm on Twitter and Facebook, is he basically said, he said, I don't remember the exact quote, and I'm not going to wrap it for you even if I did, but he basically said, it is Jesus or it's nothing. It's Jesus or it's nothing. It's Jesus or it's nothing. And friend, if a guy who's a rapper, the worst degree, can come to know Jesus apparently, then we can say the same. It's Jesus or it's nothing. It's grace or it's nothing. We got it or we don't. So what does this mean for you? I'm just going to put this up there. And Amy, I don't have time to go through all these. This means that if you have anything on this list up here, and I'll let you read through it as I talk. If you have anything on this list up here, you have devalued grace alone in your life. If you are theologically arrogant, 
if you have self-pity that, that, uh, that, that God doesn't care for me, if you're materialistic, if you believe that you deserve more than you have because you're just a good person, that's called the prosperity gospel, and that's false. If you tell yourself you're always alone, you, you devalue the grace that God, that He's with you all the time. If you're a legalist, if you have certain rules that people must follow in order to be Christian, then you are not valuing grace. Let me be clear, there are do's and don'ts of the Christian life. Let's not throw it out with the bathwater. But there's an extreme that some people take it to that's not biblical. And if you believe, for instance, that uh, information so much is better than what God gives you in grace, if the people around you tell you better things than what God can tell you, you may have devalued grace in your life. Friends, we are saved by faith alone through grace alone, as the Scripture tells us. What a joy it is. Let's hurry as we go on. Again, these will be on the thing. And the last pillar that we have before we put the roof on is we are saved by Christ alone. Amen? We are saved by Christ alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. If you have your Bible, I invite you to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Very familiar passage for you. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. This is uh, the, uh, after Pentecost where John and uh, Peter are before uh, the ruling authorities of their day. And they're basically being told not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is what they come to say. Uh, many of you know this. You've shared this in gospel conversations. But let me familiarize again with you. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. If you don't have this underlined, I would encourage you to do it. This is what they say. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven among men by what, which we must be saved. Let me read it again. There's salvation in no one else, referring to Jesus, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Look, man's greatest quandary in this world for salvation is not financial, it's not political, and by the way, we're going to be preaching on a biblical view of politics coming in October of next year. Hold your hats for that. But his greatest need, man's greatest need, is not cultural or psychological or physical. It is a spiritual salvation. There is, and Amy will put these up, there is a priority of salvation. It has to be Christ. This is why if you serve people in the name of Jesus and give them a glass of water, good for you. But if you don't share the gospel with them, you've left them to their own devices. You've fed them the lie that they already believe about themselves, that they're good enough, and there's another good person helping another good person. There is a priority. It is Jesus Christ. This is why our pulpit should be filled with Christ. You should come in each week saying what that man said to Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon, I cannot believe you preach the gospel to us every week. We already know the gospel. And he looked at him and he said, you know, that's why you need it, because you forget it every week as well. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. There's a priority of salvation. It is found in Jesus' name. Look, we are among believers, I believe, in our church today. This is not Muhammad or Confucius or Pope or pastor or priest or shaman or whatever you got. It's Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Amen? That's what we believe. But there's also an exclusivity of this salvation. Did you notice that? This is not in any other name except Jesus' name. It's not in a church or religion or a cause or a baptistry or membership. We value membership very highly here, but it doesn't save you. It's not in an offering plate or, or that you got a, a car, you're a card-carrying member of Tower View Baptist Church. That's great if you are. But salvation is found in no one else. 
It's not in Moses. It's not in Paul. It's not in Muhammad or Allah. It's not in Buddha or Confucius or Pope. It is only found in Jesus' name. Now you say, well, Darren, don't most Christians believe that? Maybe, yes. If you, if you really believe this stuff, yes. But so many don't. Friends, there are so many people who put Jesus plus whatever to get to heaven. That's why when those Mormons knock on your door and they say, we believe in the same Jesus you do, and they put a big smile on their face and they're genuine. I believe they're genuine because they really genuinely believe this stuff. But they're not speaking about the same Jesus because their Jesus came from a world far, far away in a galaxy and was a spirit child of another person far, far away, and it goes back and back and back. If you ask an honest Mormon, do you really know who the real God is? They will look at you and say no because it's infinite regression. You never know where it started. I'm grateful that our God said let it be and it was so and, and it is. It's Christ alone. There's not only a priority and an exclusivity. That means that there's no other way in the gate. There's a necessity. We have to share this message and if you don't know this message, you have to be saved by this message. It is Christ alone that saves us. What does this mean for you? Amy, let, uh, you can just put those up as well. What does this mean? If you're single today, you, you say this is a weird first one to start off with. Let me explain. If you're single today, you are not incomplete. How do you get that from Christ alone? Because Christ alone, whether you're single, you're widowed, or widower, or you're married, is always going to be your top relationship you have, isn't it? Four implications of this is that you compare yourself only with Jesus. Do not get in the Corinthian game. Do not get in and say, I'm more spiritual than you. I can do this better than you. Guys, we all are at the foot of the cross. If we believe in Christ alone, then we believe that. And again, salvation is not in a church, a cause, or a code. It's in Christ alone. And that's it. And we have to reject everything else that comes our way because of that. You say, Darren, we know this stuff. We do. But guys, there's a lot of people who don't. If you get up on any TV show and announce that you're going to pray, and you pray, they're going to be okay with it until you get to the very end. And I pray this in Jesus' name. (whistles) Cuts the cheese right there. It puts it out there. You have an offensive faith. You are offensive if you believe this stuff. You may be as quiet as a a church mouse, but you're as offensive as they come because you believe in the one who has offended the world. Remember, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Why didn't He have to condemn the world? Because the world already knows it's condemned. They're just going to party it up, hell-like until kingdom come. Christ alone. This means that Christ is bigger than any plans we have for Tower View Baptist Church. If Christ is taken away, we've missed the boat. Let me end with this, for sake of time and space. Not only is the scripture the foundation, you have your three pillars, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Let's put the seal on the roof We are to do this all for the glory of God alone. Sola Dei Gloria. Uh, Our missionary, one of our missionaries, Aaron, preached on this over two years ago, his first sermon. And uh, I talked with him this last week, and he said, he said, you know, I don't even remember what I said, and people were so gracious to me to listen, but I always remember that because that was my first sermon I preached in a church. 
So thank you for letting you – know, some of you all may remember that a couple of years ago. Thank you for putting up with that and putting up with him, and I think he did a great job anyway. But he preached on this, and here, and I'm using his points here actually. He reminded us two years ago, Aaron did, that God is self-existent. And Amy will put these up, but God is self-existent. God doesn't need our help. God it wasn't needy up there in heaven. This is why there's a popular worship song, and, and we've got to be careful with this, that uh, God, uh, uh, oh, help me out. Uh, God was lonely and created heaven. Because Help me out. How, how's it go, uh, brother? How does it go? He didn't want heaven without us. There's a worship song on Caleb and 88.5. He didn't want heaven without us. Really? Really? Did you ever think about that? Is God just up there like, man, I'm so lonely. I need to get my security blanket on. Give me people, give me people, give me people. I don't think so. That's just weird. Our God is strong. Our God is independent. Our God is self-sufficient. He's sovereign. He loves. He wants everyone to come to him. But he doesn't need us. And so when we say that everything is for God alone, it means we believe that God made everything. You're not randomly processed by evolution. You're not primordial soup that went from a wizard to a person. That's just weird, isn't it? Well, Darren, what do you do with all that stuff? That's a great conversation. But look, you are not the natural process of evolution. God said, boom, and it was so, and you were so. There was a big bang, and God just said, let it be so, and it happened, okay? And it was what it was. God controls everything. We believe this to be true. That no matter what happens, no matter how we plan it, no matter what we do with it, that God is the one who carries it out. He's sovereign. It's His glory. For everything comes from God alone. Everything by His power is for His glory. And everything finds its purpose in Him. Everything finds its purpose in Him. Church, we can do a lot of great things, but if it's not directed to the glory of God, then we've missed it. Not just as words we say at the end of a prayer, but really we've missed it if we don't. And I'll close with this. God alone is worthy of all our praise. We are so appreciative to be helping as your pastors here. We're so grateful to serve with you. We love you all so much. I hope you hear that. If you have people who are not in the church who are members, guys, we are not perfect. Our, your pastors, we've probably stepped on more toes wrongly than we can admit. But one thing we pray that we do is like that guy who was walking along in New York City. And you, if you've ever been to New York City before, you know as people walk, it's just like a herd, isn't it? Just like a big herd of walking down the street. And they're all going the same way. If you go against the tide, you're like, they're going to tie you down because you're just breaking up the mold of things. It's like the person who is walking along, the country guy walking along, and he had his keys on his belt, you know, this wasn't Derek McMurtry, I promise. Had the big belt buckle and the whole nine yards. And he's walking along, and he dropped his keys on the, on the ground. And everybody stopped because they thought that there was free money on the ground. And he was looking around for his keys and looking around for his keys. And the jingle, 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 jingle. And then finally he said, look, up there. And all the eyes went up there, and he found his keys, and he ran off because he got so scared he didn't know what else to do. And that's how we should be as leaders for you. There's a lot of distractions down here, and people are doing this stuff, but our eyes are up there. It's his glory alone. It's all about him, and that's what it's about. We are saved, as Amy will put up this last slide, you are saved this morning by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in a scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. May God be praised. Let's pray together. Father, as we close out today,
we want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this church, for the opportunity, Lord, to know more of you and to make you known. Father, these truths are well rehearsed here. They're well known here. But Father, I pray for your glory. They are always the priority here. Not because I'm here or, or, or any other pastor or any other person is here, but Father, it's because your word has said that we are to be here with these things. Father, forgive us if we've ever taken these things away. Forgive us if we've ever uh, tried to manipulate these truths of Scripture. It's all about you, Father. And we come back, as the old song says, to the heart of worship because it's all about you. Father, we love you so much. Be glorified today. Thank you for this sweet group, Father, as we celebrate this week, uh, remembering that 502 years ago, not the man, Martin Luther, the great people who came after him, but just your grace that after so many thousands or hundreds of years, perhaps, of darkness, theologically, even with burst of light, that you saw fit to put us in a time and a place such as this, that we could see your scripture as it is. We look forward so much to the day when all this is gone. But Father, thank you for giving us all we need for life and godliness, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, right here in front of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother.